joining us today on episode number 62 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. We all remember that quote from our the wonderful Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And like you know, life is a balancing act and there are so many things going on. So today we're going to talk about the importance of slowing down. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. It's like you say, life is a balancing act. There is so much going on. You've got to exercise, you've got to keep up at work, you're taking care of your family, you're running to 17 different appointments, heaven forbid you forget to mow the lawn for a couple of weeks. And <laughs> just, Especially in the summertime. You can't see the house anymore because the <laughs> lawn got a little too high. There's a lot of things going on. And then you have to balance it with actually enjoying what you're doing and not just trying to get one more thing accomplished during the day. Yeah, that mindfulness of the moment and trying to actually enjoy and be aware and be present is not always the easiest thing to accomplish when you have a million different things and your mind is always going in a million different directions and you're just thinking about all the tasks on your list. It's very hard sometimes to be mindful. So being mindful is super important in all of your tasks. While I was trying to put together the the outline for today's episode, I was thinking from the running perspective and, you know, from an eating perspective, and it just, it's brought to mind um, this, it's a speech by Alan Watts. And within it, he has a great speech. The speech is essentially, what would you do if money didn't matter? And his line inside is about money. And it says, If you say that money is the most important thing, you'll spend your life completely wasting your time because you'll be doing things that you don't like in order to go on living. That is doing things that you don't like doing. Mm -hmm. It's it's a great speech. We should link it in the notes. It's a great YouTube video. Um, Anytime you feel like you've gotten to a point in your life where it's just like, I'm just doing things just to say that I've done things, Mm -hmm. just take a moment. It's it's like a three minute little lecture, one of his lectures, and it it highlights to make sure that what you're doing is actually bringing enjoyment into mm-hmm. your life. It's true, and a lot of people that try to make money in order to live a better life end up spending so much time working that they don't actually have any time left to enjoy that life that they're building for themselves. Yeah, or and- they're and then once they retire, then they're kind of too old to do some of the things that they wanted to do. I know I was going through so many different quotes about what what to mention. I've got a, a lot of good ones of, you know, people who are never satisfied with their current situation. And while it's gr- great to work and to try and keep improving, you know, we've talked about trying to reach towards greatness, at the same time, you have to find happiness in your current situation. Where you are. You can't just be constantly miserable and hoping that things are going to get better in the future. Yeah. Eventually, you get to a point and you look back and you're like, well, what just happened in the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we're going to break this down into two main areas today. Obviously, there's a lot of life lessons that go along with this taking it slow. But before we get into that, we are going to talk about taking it slow in running and then Later on, we are going to be talking about taking it slow with eating and all the benefits that that will bring to your life. So let's start off with the running. Okay, so when you're taking it slow with running, there's two major times to do this. Recovery runs and long runs. Right. So recovery runs are super important for the body to actually make adaptations from your harder workouts. So 
we, when we coach our athletes, we advocate mixed workouts, right? We, we tell people don't just go out and run the same pace and the same distance every single time you run, because eventually you're just going to hit a plateau and that's just where you're going to be. So if your goal is to become a stronger runner, a faster runner, or start running longer distances, it's great to add in variety. But a big component of this variety are these slow recovery runs. And a lot of people don't do this right. Yeah. If you transition from doing all of your runs at one pace, and then you just add in speed work, the problem is, is that when you were doing all your runs at one pace, that, that, pace, like was, moderate pace, that pace was right? medium. Yeah. You never had an easy run. Yeah. So you can't just take all of your runs as medium and then boost some of them to be faster and mm-hmm. expect to get better. Right. You need to take some of your medium runs and drop them lower into an actual easy pace. Right. And a lot of our athletes that have been running for several years or more have a very hard time with this. Like you would think that if, you know, your coach said, hey, go out and run easy, make sure that you can maintain a conversation, that people would enjoy doing that, but they don't. A lot of them find it very, very difficult to find that slower pace and don't enjoy it when they're doing it. Yeah, sometimes there's certain coaches of this podcast that don't enjoy going nice and long and easy. (laughs) I think both coaches of this podcast... (laughs) It can get boring, and, but it's remarkably useful, and the body really needs that time. Yeah. If you go too hard on a recovery day, it prevents you from being both mentally and physically prepared for your next hard workout. Mm-hmm. And if there's too little recovery, then eventually you're just going to end up injured, exhausted, or sick. Yeah, it's a slow decline, though. Yeah. Like, you can fake it for a little while. True. Have a hard day medium, hard day medium. But over enough time, you're like, oh, this is great consistency. And you might see benefits at first. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's tricky is because yeah. you could see early benefits. But they're hiding this gradual descent towards exhaustion and eventual injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what happened to me yesterday. I think my body finally rebelled on me. I think so. Yeah, I, I woke up with very, very odd symptoms, kind of like dehydration. I was kind of dizzy and I ended up taking a two and a half hour nap and it was so needed. I mean, the last two weeks have just been really rough. There's been so much going on between big out of town cross country meets and the fall festival at the kids' school. It's, It's been intense for the last couple of weeks. Right. So pushing that recovery pace, people might think, oh, I don't need a recovery pace. I'm going to run this recovery pace at my normal medium pace. And it, it's just not worth it. Like you're, it's going to catch up with you. I know, but it sounds so noble and determined. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm going to push it just a little bit extra today. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's supposed to be a recovery day, but I'm pushing. And that person looks like someone to aspire towards. Ooh, look how hard they're going on their mm-hmm. easy days. The problem is it also helps give that person a built-in excuse. A built-in excuse for what? For the next hard workout that they don't quite go fast enough. Mm. Like, oh, I push too hard on my easy day. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, but do you think that they do that purposely? I think it depends on the person. I definitely have done that before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, push too hard. Oh, I went too hard on yesterday when it was supposed to be easy, and I I just don't have the, the high-end speed for, you know, super fast quarter repeats today or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, I've done this a bunch. So you pushed hard on your easy day knowing that it was going to give you a built an excuse for your hard day is uh, that what you mean you know if I've this happened more when when I've started coaching myself is I've almost set up and knowing that that workout at the end of the week was going to be brutal to hit those high-end speeds and and thinking I don't know if I've done it on purpose but in my mind subconsciously you know I think I've I've 
like almost sabotaged myself along the way. Been like, okay, work out on Monday, work out on Thursday. And if I push too hard on those two recovery days in the middle of the year, when I come to Thursday, I'm like, ah, I'm just too tired. I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit these things all the Mm -hmm. way out. It's, it's this excuse that's kind of in there, whether it's conscious or not, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a thing that you can fall back on and be like, well, I know I didn't hit my times on the hard day, but I did pretty well on the medium days. Mm-hmm. I did pretty, I went extra fast on the recovery days. So it probably balances out. And it doesn't? It doesn't because you're missing, Ooh. you're missing the high end days. You're yeah. missing, yeah, they're hard, but balance it. Make the hard days hard enough make them actually hit the the goals that you're going for and then really recover on the recovery days (laughs) but those hurt i know it hurts that's why i like to put my hard day early in the week before i have excuses built in yeah it's nice that way yeah i try to put my harder speedier work on tuesdays uh the harder of your two hard days goes goes early yeah and then kind of do more of the effort-based stuff on thursday workout that's funny. We kind of go backwards. Oh, really? I put my faster one later in the week. Yeah. I, I just find that by the end of the week, then it's just, you're just tired. I'm just tired. Well, for me, depending, like the workouts I've got going, my faster one tends to be less mentally daunting. So I put that one later in the week. Okay. The one that I have to bring the mental and physical stamina true. towards, I put that one early. That's true. That's true. So it is important to maintain a very easy pace on your recovery runs. And when we say easy pace, if we're talking about a scale of one to five, we're talking about a level two is an easy pace. So it's more than a walk for most people that are that are running. I mean, if you're a brand new runner, it might be a walk. It might be a fast paced walk for you, or it might be a run walk. That's another great thing for new runners. Um, So that pace needs to be easy enough that you can maintain a conversation or sing the first line of the Star Spangled Banner. That's always the givey. If you can sing the first line of a song, that, that's got it. It has to be a lengthy song. That, that's mm. why the first line of the Star Spangled Banner. You're like, you got to carry some notes for a little while there. Especially if you're trying to go Whitney Houston style on Perfect, it. yes. How, <laughs> how long can you stretch that out? Um, all right, so one of the other big times to make sure you're going slow enough is a long run. Yeah, I haven't been as good about this lately because I've been running with my group and everybody wants to see how fast they can push their long run pace. Everybody wants to be sub 10 on their long runs now. That is, that is the danger of long run is in a group is you tend to get carried along and swept up with the group, I know. which is not necessarily your pace. The point of a long run, this used to be the backbone of like all distance training was long way over distance. Like it, it's called, it's over mileage. Mm-hmm. If you're racing a 5k and you run five miles, that's over distance. Mm-hmm. You know, anything long longer than your race when you're marathon training it's hard to go over what about half marathon training yeah i i like to go up into at least 15 miles on my own half marathon you do but i mean what about the general public and real life runners when you when you hit one of your longer weekend it's the run during the week that tends to take up somewhere around like a third of your weekly mileage Mm -hmm. somewhere between 20 percent and a third depending on the person okay you know um the number that gets thrown out there a lot is 20, but that tends to fall more towards elites. If you're running 100 miles a week and you do a 20-mile long run, that's 20%. Mm-hmm. Normal people aren't hitting 100 miles a week. Right. So it's somewhere around probably like a third. Right. So by slowing down, especially on these long runs where you're out there for a really long time, you are really priming the body to make some wonderful physical adaptations. Number one is you 
basically teach the body how to use some of its slow burn energy systems. By keeping your pace slower, you're also keeping your heart rate lower, which means you can breathe better. So you're getting more oxygen into the system. More oxygen present means that you're actually burning fat, which is your slower burning energy system versus the carbohydrates and the glycogen system, which are your faster burning systems. So by slowing down, you're actually allowing your body to figure out how to use fat as fuel. And that that process just takes a longer period of time and it requires more oxygen. So if you're huffing and puffing during your long run, you're not getting the amount of oxygen in that you need to teach your body how to tap into some of these systems. Exactly. You completely bypass the slow burn energy. As soon as you start breathing heavy, your body is flipping over and now it's just churning through carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. If you slow it down and you teach your body to use slow burn energy, it Mm -hmm. gets better and better and more efficient at doing that. Right. And so better working systems is just going to make your body more efficient so that when you do enter a race, your body can then use both the faster burning systems and the slower burning systems during the race. This is super important for anything from like... it. It counts a little bit in 5Ks. Just a little bit, though. But certainly as you start getting going longer than that. In a 5K, you're basically going to burn through your, your faster-burning energy systems. Mm-hmm. But as you go into something like a half marathon, it's certainly on a full marathon the longer and more you can access the slow burn system, the better off you're going to be. Because Mm -hmm. then your body has so much fuel inside of it in the form of fat that you could run for hours upon hours upon hours. Days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can go days and days and days. But if you just flip over and you start just just firing through carbohydrates, you run out of fuel before you get to the finish line. Right, and that's part of the reason that people need the... Um, during race fueling, you know, yes. the, the gel packs and the, the carbohydrates that people take during the race is a lot of times because they aren't tapping into their fat burning systems as efficiently. So they need the carbohydrates to keep them moving. Right. And especially you, in a race situation. In a race situation, certainly. But I mean, the difference, and this even takes place on like elites, they're flying down the roads and they're still able to tap into just a little bit. I mean, on on an elite level where the difference between first and second is not much. I mean, the New York Marathon that just happened, that was literally a sprint to the finish yeah, line after 26 miles. So crazy. The guy who was able to tap into his fat-burning system like 1% better than the other guy, that's a huge advantage when it comes mm-hmm. down to who can sprint at the finish line. Right, exactly. Running slow, some, another physical adaptation that running slow will help you with is that it increases your mitochondrial density and your capillary density. So these are some sciencey words for you, but basically your mitochondria are the like parts of your cell that help to make energy. So when you run longer and slower and you're tapping into these oxidative burning systems, you are going, your body is going to make more mitochondria. So when you have more mitochondria, you are then going to be able to produce more energy. It, it literally just has more things in your body that turns fuel into energy. Right. The more ability you have to turn fuel into energy, the easier your run becomes. Right. And the second thing I said is it increases your capillary density. Your capillaries are the small blood vessels in your body. So there's all different size blood vessels. There's the arteries, there's arterioles, there's all these different things. And the capillaries are the very, very fine 
um, blood vessels that bring blood to your muscles. So when you run long and slow and you're throwing, you know, you're moving the, the blood around your body, moving that oxygen around, your body starts to build new networks of capillaries so that it can get more blood to your muscles more efficiently and faster so that it will help to support you during your physical activity. So then when you start running faster and your body is screaming for any sort of oxygenated blood, you have more pathways to bring that blood to your muscles right? because you help build them during the slow run. Mm-hmm. You push your slow runs and your body makes different adaptations rather than simply building this giant capillary network. Exactly. And so when you build up these mitochondria and these capillaries, this is going to make running easy, even easier, which then is going to allow you to slowly, slowly increase your easy pace. Yes. But if your easy pace is say, I don't know, just for a nice number, 10 minutes per mile and you go off for a long slow distance run that does not mean that the next week your easy pace is 945 right this is a slow process Mm -hmm. where the time very gradually dips down and that also depends on sleep and stress and real life and your training that week all of it's you know it, it all plays a role also with what your pace is yeah, and consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you can keep getting the long run in week after week after week, that helps make the adaptations. If you get it in one week and then you miss it for a couple and it's another one, it's this step forward, two steps back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you will gradually get there. But um, if you can keep taking steps forward, even if they're little steps forward... Yeah you're going to you're going to be making better progress. Right, and that's why we always encourage people to look at running as a long-term journey. This is not something that comes easily. This is not something that comes quickly. Yes, you will make quick adaptations in the beginning when you're a runner, when you first start running, you're going to improve pretty quickly. But then after your body kind of gets used to it, it's going to take a little longer for you to see you know, steady improvement. Yeah, the faster you get, the harder it is to improve. Right. So let's talk about those new runners now. All right. So there's a couple of kind of funky exceptions to the take it nice and slow when you are a brand new runner. Okay. If you tell a brand new runner, someone who thinks, wow, if I had to run to the end of the street, I'm not sure I could do it. Yeah. And you tell them, okay, I'd like you to find a pace that's, that doesn't hurt. And that you can maintain a conversation. That you can maintain a conversation. They're like, um, great. That pace is going to be sitting on the couch over there. (laughs) Or walking. Right. Right. An easy walk. A a nice, easy walk. And so there's a couple of ways to go with this. One, easy walking actually will serve the same benefit as a Mm -hmm. nice long run for someone who's been, who's got a whole lot of years of experience of running. Yeah. And I would argue that a nice, slow, long walk can even benefit seasoned runners as well. Certainly. I, I think I, I want to say that we walk enough. I want to say that's one of the things inside of uh, like Meb for Mortals is as he started for him, as he started getting older, which mm-hmm. was like 35, right. he started adding <laughs> more walking to yeah. his daily routine right. because he couldn't run as many miles. So he just wanted more time on his feet. Mm-hmm. And, and that was helping him. So he mm-hmm. just added extensive walking to his routines. Yeah. And, and I think that that is something that can definitely benefit. And as runners, I think it's very hard to walk because you think, I know I think to myself, like, why am I going to waste my time walking when I can go out and run and cover a much longer distance in the same amount of time? Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the same thing with longer, slower runs. You know, you think about 
the time that you have to run and you want to maximize <laughs> what you have. Exactly. I mean, if you're trying to cram a run into the morning before you have to get home and get the kids ready for school, yeah. you're going to pick the pace you're up. You're going to go a little faster. Because like, well, I'd like to be able to get in seven miles, but I can only do it if I hold this pace the entire time. Right. So that's the pace you're going for. Mm-hmm. And it might serve your body and your long-term running much better to do one less mile and do it at the actual appropriate pace for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So back to those new runners. Okay. The long walks. That's one thing. Non-impact uh, cross training. Mm-hmm. That'd be another good so one. Like swimming, swimming, elliptical. biking, elliptical, mm-hmm. um, yoga, yoga. Um, if, if you've got the money to get an elliptical, those things look awesome. Yeah, those are cool. Um, also, okay, so when I started running, I was in high school, and I tended to push a little more than I should have on these days because, you know, you go out there, there's the faster guys, you want to run with them, so I went off and I ran with them, and over the summer, I was not running consistently. It's like the summer before my freshman year. I would go off and I would run too fast on my Tuesday run, and then I would run too fast when we had practice on Thursday, but I would often just not run on that Wednesday and take extra recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that that helped me get faster in, a, in less period of time. Really? Because I was pushing my body more. I was taking way more recovery than I was going for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I try and run as many days out of the week as possible, six to seven days out of the week. When I started, I was taking more like full actual rest days. Mm-hmm. If I was talking to somebody who was just getting into running and they like really despise the concept of easy so, runs yeah. and like they, they're like, I just, I don't want to do it. And it's, it's a tough transition for some people then take extra full off days. Mm-hmm. Okay? Only go four days out of the week. Take some full off days mm-hmm. if you're going to end up pushing the pace a little bit harder on those other ones. Okay. I think that's a that's a good thing. And the other thing that can be very helpful are run-walk programs for, for new runners. In our beginner and intermediate program that we have, um, our 30-day plans, we utilize running and walking. And I think that run-walk programs are a fantastic way for new runners to get started because it gives them the benefit of running, but it doesn't overtrain them. It allows them to take those slower periods that they need so that they don't overdo it. Yeah. One last thing I want to say, and this works for run-walk, this works for if you're pushing the pace a little bit too hard. When you're a new runner, the adaptations that your body is making, it's hard to say this workout gives you these exact adaptations because your body is going to try and make tons of different adaptations. Mm -hmm. And so to say that a specific workout gets a specific result is a little kind of crazy. Yeah. So whatever it is that you're going for, as long as you go back to our first point, which is make sure you get enough recovery, Mm -hmm. your body is going to adapt and you're going to start seeing, you know, great physical improvement. Yeah. I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk about our uh, new cross country runners, like our freshmen and new runners on our team. Most of the time it's our job just to make sure they stay healthy because any running that they do is going to get them better. But we could definitely overtrain them and, you know, set them up for injury and sickness and all that. But it's basically our job just to manage that and make sure that they're taking enough recovery and taking care of themselves so that they don't end up in that cycle of injury. Yeah. Sleeping on occasion, actually eating two things that the, uh, you know, super academic high school kids don't enjoy doing. Yeah. Sleeping and eating correctly. (laughs) So that's a, that's a wonderful transition into our next point, Kevin. Perfect. All right. So 
those are basically the, the main benefits of taking it slow and running. So hopefully you guys have a better idea of why those slow, easy recovery days are so, so important. So now we're going to flip over and we're going to talk about taking it slow and eating, which is kind of my inspiration for this um, episode when we were talking about what to talk about this week. I was t- thinking about slowing down with eating and I was like, okay, well, what we can easily tie that into running and the benefits of, of going slow in both. So number one If you want to improve your eating, improve your health, like you need to start cooking because when you prepare quality ingredients into quality food, everything gets better. You are totally in control of what you're putting into your body when you prepare that food. When you're going out to restaurants or getting fast food or any of that stuff, you don't have any idea of the quality of the ingredients or how it's being prepared. Right. If you're literally just trying to get something into you as quick as possible because you're hungry, it's probably not going to be the best thing that you put into you. Mm-hmm. The, the the preparation of food, the entire eating experience begins with making food. Right. Digestion actually begins as you are preparing your food, as you're cutting the food, as you're seeing the food, especially if it's that beautiful rainbow, you know, plate that we all aspired it to do. When you're prepping that, washing it, cutting it, you start to smell the food that you're making. All of that starts your brain, it, your brain starts releasing hormones that then stimulate the gastric juices, the the acids in your stomach to to start producing so that your stomach and your body, everything is priming itself to begin the digestive process. Which probably does not happen as well in a drive-thru. Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, everybody knows it though. If you think about it, if, when you walk into a, a restaurant and it smells so good, what's one of the first things that starts to happen? Your stomach starts rumbling. Or you start, you start your mouth yeah, starts you start, watering. You literally start drooling if it smells right? appropriately. <laughs> or like if you walk by a cafe with the fresh pies or fresh bread that's baking, mm-hmm. you, your mouth, you start salivating. And that's your body, the brain. It's it's releasing all those chemicals that are saying, oh, there's food that's probably going to be coming. I should get ready for that food. Yeah, I, sh- I should be ready. You, right. you don't generally like to catch your body off guard. That's mm-hmm. part of the, the whole slow thing is let your body know food is coming. It'll prep it before the food even gets there. Okay. Yeah. So number one, start, start learning how to cook. And if you want some, some great recipes, we've got a bunch of healthy recipes in our tribe membership program. So you can check that out on the website, realliferunners.com. Yeah. Actual recipes that we actually eat in our family. Yes. We, mm-hmm. I only put recipes up that we have tried and that we like, especially the kids too. Yes, that the kids, the kids have actually have agreed liked with. And eaten. Um, okay, so number two, pay attention to what you're eating, okay? If you don't have the time or the effort or you're not sure what to do when it comes to cooking, it's still very important for you to pay attention, even once you're eating. Okay, we're so we're we're not, we're not really talking about the preparation anymore. We're talking about actually sitting down. If you're distracted, well, I, I should. I mean, that's a good place to to start, right? Sit down to yeah. eat. I yeah, mean, sit down. <laughs> sit down. I mean, how many times? I'm a busy mom, obviously. I eat standing up all the time. Like at the kitchen counter, I'm making lunches in the morning. I'm getting the girls breakfast. I am I usually stand up in the morning when I eat. I eat half of my breakfast while prepping my lunch and throwing it in a bag. Yeah. 
you know, at the kitchen counter and the other half while driving to work. Right. And that's the other thing I do. I, in, I eat a lot of my lunches in the car driving from patient to patient. Right. But you also plan out your lunch beforehand. Sometimes. Or, I mean, at a minimum, I've seen your lunch bag sometimes. Sometimes you open our fridge, (laughs) you grab like six different containers, and you're like, well, as long as the six different containers are all good quality ingredients, it's going to become a a decent lunch. Right, exactly. And that's the benefit of batch prepping is that you have all of those ingredients just there and ready to go. And you can just combine them into a delicious, you know, mess of food. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And throw some sauce over it. In an ideal world, you're going to eat with far less distraction because the distraction makes you not even aware of what you're doing right. it's it's usually going to lend itself to overeating yes. because you're not paying attention to what's going into your body definitely and this is one of the really really important things about sitting down for family dinner every night it's something that we do pretty much every night we have family dinner and we sit down at the table and eat together and i know that a lot of times especially as the kids get older and they're in sports this can be very difficult for a lot of families but I think that it's very worthwhile for you to plan on doing this at least once a week, twice a week. I mean, we we pretty much do it almost every night, but our kids are so little. They're not involved in a ton of evening activities. Yeah, I mean, but the more often you can do this, the more often that you can actually sit down and take the time and think about what you're putting in your mouth, the, the better off you're going to be. Right. Slow down and actually taste your food. That's a good one. Chew. Yes. Right? I mean, there's. think about how many times you just shovel food in your face. And you don't know how much you're eating. Your body doesn't know when it's actually full. So like you said, it totally encourages you to overeat because you're not giving your body enough time to figure out that it's full. I remember that was a commercial for a pizza place when I was growing up. They had the rules of eating pizza. And one of the rules was, or it was the commandments. One of the commandments was, um, thou shalt shove the fourth slice of pizza into your mouth before your stomach tells your brain you're full. Oh, it was actually advocating that? Well, I mean, it was a pizza place. Yeah, the, so the goal was to eat, eat as much pizza? as possible. Yes. Yeah. Get that last bite in before your brain actually realizes that you're full. Wow. Yeah. So... 20% of carbohydrate digestion actually starts in your mouth with the, the salivary enzymes that your, that your saliva produces. I remember this as a science experiment when I was in high school. It was yeah. hold a cracker in your mouth and just see what happens. Yeah. The cracker pretty much disappears. Pretty much disappears, right. So one of the things that I've noticed, and I, I don't think I'm alone, and forgive me if this is TMI, if it's too much information for you, but I noticed that If I slowly chew my food, I am much less gassy. Like there are certain foods that can cause gas. And I have found that the slower I eat, I mean, it basically eliminates the gas issue. Because part of the digestion is taking place in your mouth. In your mouth. So it's not releasing gas bubbles inside of your gut. Correct. So like when when you're actually starting the digestive process in your mouth, then you're grinding up those food pieces into much smaller, you know, particles. And so by the time it gets down to your small intestine, the enzymes in your small intestine don't have to work as hard to break that food down because it's already broken down. So then it can just go to go to work to actually absorb the nutrients and, and digest it. Whereas if you have whole food particles that are making its way down into your small intestine, and then basically your intestine has to over-release 
the enzymes that it has to try to break the that food down, then that can cause the the gassiness. That's where the, the issue gas comes release, from, right? So by slowing down and chewing more, you can actually be a much pleasant, uh, much more pleasant table guest. Well, <laughs> I mean, plus you're not literally just swallowing air as you just shovel food and like handfuls of food That's in your true mouth. Too. You know, I, I've done this one before. If you eat popcorn too fast, mm-hmm. like you're just shoveling a lot of air into your mouth, so you're swallowing all this. Yeah. Like, well, I ate part of a bag of popcorn. How come I feel so ridiculously full? It's popcorn and, and loaded. It's, yeah, it's because you're swallowing so much air because mm-hmm. you're eating so quickly. Yeah. Like, put a couple pieces of popcorn in your mouth and chew. Yeah. And, and another benefit of sitting down and eating slowly, especially if it's with your family, is that you get to talk to your family more and you actually get to connect. I mean, think about how busy we all are with just schedules. And then so many so many times you see people and everyone's on their devices, everyone's on their phone or their tablets. And I mean, it's one of the things that just absolutely drives me crazy if we ever go out to eat is looking around and just seeing everybody staring at their phones and not even talking to one another. Yeah, when, when we go out on, on date night, which does not happen as nearly as often as it should, but the worst is if you're at date night and you look at the table next to you and you're like, they're also clearly out on a date. Mm-hmm. Why are they both looking at their phones? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of sad. It's very sad. And there, on occasion, we will pull something out, like if we're having a conversation conversation and there's like a statistic or something that we need to look up real quick but it I mean how easy is it to pull out that phone just to look up that one small thing right and it takes you down the rabbit and hole and it takes you down the rabbit hole exactly so I, I've been trying to be much more aware of just putting the phone away and leaving it like not having it on the table because like just having the phone on the table is such a distraction. Having your phone in your pocket, yeah. just being able to feel your phone yeah. has been shown as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that's why we have the rule at my school that the phones can't even be in your pockets. Mm-hmm. Like there's a place to put them when you walk into the classroom because yeah. if you know that it's there, you you just have this natural draw towards, I want to see if there's something happening on the screen right mm-hmm. now. It's that immediate gratification. Yes. Yeah. All right, so going back to some more strategies for helping you to eat slower and be a little bit more mindful of what you're eating and how much you're, you're putting into your body is to underserve yourself on the first go around, right? They, they say that plate size also makes a difference, like the size of your actual plate. If you choose a smaller plate, a lot of times that will actually help you to eat less. Because people like to fill their plate. Right, which is true. So one of the things that I like to talk about with my clients that I that I coach with their nutrition is using your hand as a portion guide because number one, your hand is always with you. So it's not like you have to carry measuring cups around or colored containers like on some of the other programs out there. Your hand is always there. So by... I, I always have a set of measuring cups in my pocket. <laughs> So basically, you should try to eat protein, carbohydrates, vegetables, and fat at every single meal. And you can use your hand to help you figure out the portion sizes. So basically, an open palm, including the size and the thickness of your palm, is one protein serving. Good. A cupped fist is one carbohydrate serving. A closed fist is vegetables. And thumb, your thumb is fat. So that's kind of a very quick and easy guide of something that you should be putting into every single one of your meals. Yeah, and making sure you get appropriate portions. I think we should maybe in the future do a whole thing on appropriate portion size Mm -hmm. and eating correctly, but that's a good sum. So if you start off with just one 
portion of each thing that you're supposed to have and, and just serve, a, a, you know, just the one, then eat what's on your plate slowly so that you can actually enjoy your food and feel when your body is starting to get full. And then you can then decide if you need more, you know, pause, talk to people, enjoy it, and then see if you're still hungry. And if you are, especially if it's, it was a hard training day, you know, like if you had a really hard workout that day, you're going to need more food, like because your body and your muscles need to repair themselves. So on your harder days, you're going to need to eat more. So, but you also still want to listen to your body and figure out when you're hungry and how much you need to eat in order to satisfy that hunger. Yeah, I mean, put put on. I, I say underserved, but put on what you're. You know, you're going to be able to eat. You know, we say this to the kids because we're trying to get them to help serve themselves and make sure and help them figure out some portion control. Right. And the the line that we always put out there is, you can always get more. Exactly. So start by underserving yourself. Finish your plate and then pause and decide what is it that I actually want some more of. Mm-hmm. Don't just finish your plate and be like, Ooh, I have to have some more of this real quick. Just actually make sure that you're being satisfied with the food in front of you. Yeah, definitely. And this goes for snacking too. I always think it's a very good idea for you to actually portion out a snack. Don't just sit down with a bag of chips or a bag of popcorn or even a bag of carrots. I mean, that's really not the way to eat. Like take a portion of it have a small bowl or plate that you like to use and eat that portion. And then again, Take a minute, do a self-assessment, and see if you're still hungry. And if you need to take another portion, then take another portion. But don't just open up and start going to town on a bag of chips or cookies or whatnot because it's very, very easy to overeat that thing, that stuff and lose track of how much you've even eaten. Especially if you're in like a group, big group setting. Yeah. If there's a giant bowl of chips and mm-hmm. several people are eating out of it, mm-hmm. suddenly the bowl's empty and you're like, well, how much of that bowl did I just eat? Exactly. You know, did did you have six chips? Did you have the bowl of chips? So when, when I was in college and I was training, I don't know, 90 miles a week, I used to think that that thing called family size was actually just a misprint. It was Kevin's size <laughs> on the bag of chips because that yes. was that was a serving size for me. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's crazy. And, but, but the highly processed food like that, like chips, are meant for you to overeat. Like that's how the food companies design them because yes. they increase the salt and the fat and all of that content so that they combine all of it to make your taste buds so, so happy that you just, it just promotes overeating. Yes. It, it tricks your brain into having to have more. It bypasses the whole I'm full and just says, no, no, no. I want more of that right now. Exactly. And so there's nothing wrong with eating that kind of food occasionally if that's something that you really want to eat, but just Take a, a sensible portion of it. Don't just go to town. Right, which I think kind of gets to the big summary of all of this is enjoy the food that you're actually eating. Mm-hmm. Okay, Actually take your time consuming it so that you literally enjoy it and you're going to start trying to put better food into your mouth. Right, because if you're eating highly processed food that really isn't satisfying, I mean, it, it is that first or second bite that you take, but... 
I mean, does that tenth bite really taste as good as that first bite? I mean, that's that's why I put this one down. Yeah. When's the last time that you sat down with just an enormous pile of French fries and slowly savored all of them? Yeah. No one savors the giant size of French fries. Yeah. People just mindlessly shovel them into their mouth. Mm-hmm. If you sat there and slowly ate French fry after French fry, you would stop way before the end of the pile. Oh yeah. I mean, number ten is not going to taste as good as number one. No. Like number one tastes. Oh, it's that that salty, you know, warm, salty carbohydrate, crispy fat. on the outside and yeah. gooey on the inside. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But then by the time you get to like French fry number twenty, does it still taste as good? Right, exactly. Probably not. And, and they're cooling off also. So right. you know that that helps you make sure that what you're putting in is something that you're actually getting satisfied with. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just eating for the sake of there's food in front of me. I guess I should. I guess I should eat it. Right. So by slowing down, you really get to know your body better. You will start to listen to your body cues. You'll be more satisfied with the food that you're eating. And you're probably going to eat less. And that's going to lead to weight loss, which a lot of people want nowadays. You know, people want to lose weight. And they, don't, they say, I don't know how to lose weight and this and that. But if you just slowed down, thought about what you were eating and actually just enjoyed it, make sure that you just enjoy your food instead of just mindlessly eating, you're probably going to lose weight naturally in the process of all of it without really having to try that hard. I mean, you might have to try hard to slow down because <laughs> yes. that, that is not necessarily easy. It does not fit well into the world, slowing down. Right. It's, it's something that our society does not respect very much. But it's it's fantastic in whatever area you're looking at, whether it's running to slow down and actually enjoy your run, actually enjoy the people that you're maybe running with, mm-hmm. whether it's at, at the dinner table to enjoy the people that you're eating with and enjoy the food that you're consuming. Slow down and enjoy the world around you. Mm-hmm. Don't just get through the day and see how many things you can check off on your list. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys, so thank you so much for joining us today. If you want some of the resources that we talked about during the episode, head over to the website, realliferunnerspodcast.com. You'll be able to check out the video that we talked about earlier in the episode. You'll be able to check out the links for our membership program, which gives you the healthy recipes and the running every month. And you'll get all that stuff over on the website. So check it out, realliferunnerspodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you next week.